Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and it is an honor for me to welcome you to Research Week. What is Research Week? Research Week is when we get people who are way smarter than me uh, bringing really insightful conversations regarding practical and tactical research-driven insights, the most important issues of theory and practice in our field today. Uh, Enjoy this conversation. It's an honor to have them. We are excited to welcome you to Research Week. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Research Conversations. I'm Eve, and I'm joined here by my friends and colleagues, Kim and Jennifer. Hi, Eve. Hello. (laughs) So today, we are going to be addressing initiative, that competency that's also foundational to executive functioning, leadership, academic success, life success, And we're going to address some of these interesting barriers that get in the way of initiative um, and how we can get past those barriers and help grow it in ourselves and in the students we work with. Awesome. So I'm hoping we can kick this off with like a little interactive activity here. And hopefully our audience will play along too. So using what we know about developing self-awareness from the last um, episode, Let's start this episode by thinking about the paradigms that we hold about initiative. Okay. So I'm going to ask each of you without like really thinking about it. Okay. Are you ready? You're going to just call okay. something out. Oh, I love this. I love games. Okay. <laughs> Don't say dinosaur, Eve. Oh, right. oh, okay. 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 What is the first word or idea you think of when you hear the word initiative? Doing something without being told. Uh, I think of a motivated person and or dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) And I just instantly think of like a self-starter. Yeah. So now when we imagine a person who takes initiative off the top of your head, what do you imagine that person doing? Uh, (laughs) Okay. I see this person they, they got up at 5 a.m. to go for their morning, like, five-mile run, and they come home to a perfectly clean house, and they are definitely having a kale smoothie first thing in the morning, or something that's very kale-based. I don't know. Like, oh, that, there you go. That is what comes to mind for me. Uh, I'm thinking about, you know, like, the kinds of things that are going on personally in my life, um, the challenges, and um I'm imagining the person that has initiative is on the phone and they are getting the answers to the questions that they have. That's not like me, by the way. You know, I keep thinking I need to do that, but I haven't done that. Um, I'm picturing somebody who has like to-do lists and they prioritize, they look at that list and they're like, I have to do this first, then this second. Um, I imagine this person is super productive. And when I think of someone who takes initiative, like they see an issue in their local community and organize people and resources to address the issue instead of just like sitting back and hoping that somebody else deals with it. Um, So Kim, as you process like everything that we just talked about, about initiative, you know, what's your takeaway? Well, it seems to me like there is a really high bar (laughs) for people who take initiative. Um, almost like a need for perfection in order to be a person who takes initiative. 
Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, it did kind of seem like that the way we <laughs> described it. So let's see what um, new research actually says about what drives initiative and what gets in the way. And then we can explore how initiative relates to educators and students. E, oh. will you go into the research around this? Yes, I love that setup, Jennifer, because I'm sitting here with research on my screen. What a um, shock. <laughs> right, right. I know. Um, and it counteracts the idea that initiative is only for the perfect. And in fact, you know, there are some things that say that that is like antithetical to uh, perfection. And yet I'm the person who's jumped to like this kale smoothie person as the only type of person who has initiative. So it's just like an example of where my paradigms were off from what I know in some other realm, like, so checking that paradigm and going, okay, all right, I need to update that to be more accurate about the world. Um, so uh, I'm going to talk about a few things that are in the research that I found absolutely fascinating. And so just want to put up front um, recognition of this great work that you can find in the show notes. I'm going to be uh, referencing a, a new book by um, Adam Al um, Alter. And uh, it's a, a book called Anatomy of a Breakthrough and um, a great podcast that he was on, on Hidden Brain, that we're also linking in the show notes. Um, and also one with the American Psychological Association. Don't knock it till you try it. It's a great podcast, okay? <laughs> so, and he really brings different insights to both of those really exceptional podcast hosts. So, um, so he really got my mind thinking because he was talking a lot about like, when we get into ruts and it's kind of a rut is the opposite of a person who is taking initiative in some ways, right? Like they're stuck in a rut and they can't quite get the initiative uh, to get out of that rut. Um, <clears throat> and so two things really stood out to me in some of the research from that he spoke to or that came from what I found uh, based on things that he inspired. Um, and the first is around um, goal pursuit and the way that we think about goals and how that gets in the way of initiative. So when we're working towards a goal, I think maybe all of us can relate to this. So jump in and tell me when we are first starting a goal, we're really motivated. And as we're getting closer to achieving that goal, we're also really motivated by that goal. Like we're really excited about it, but there's a big old space in the middle for some of these bigger goals where we just aren't feeling like we're making progress and it can feel a lot more difficult to keep working day to day, week to week on pursuing those goals. Am I right on that? Am I alone in this? So, so I can speak to this. Um, I can speak to the part where it's really exciting and I can speak to the dip and I can say that I didn't always get past the dip. It reminds me of when I was a classroom teacher. I, and this is the time of the year. I would go back to the school year. I mean, I had this folder where I put all my great ideas for the school year coming. And I couldn't wait to do them. You know, I had like 10 things that I was going to do differently and better this year. And you know, the September would roll around, we'd start the year, and I was energized and ready to go. Um, and then, you know, a couple weeks into the school year, they're still kind of doing those things. But then, you know, it's just kind of like, 
year gets going and it's now like November and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, we made reading goals as readers in the classroom and I had intended to, you know, check in with them every week about the goals and we had intended to make some plans to get to those goals, but yeah, um, yeah, well, we didn't do that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think, thank you for sharing that. Like, that's so common. And I appreciate that you said, you know, sometimes they don't make it past the middle part. And I think that's the real power of this conversation as well is if we're, we're only so lucky to get to that end where we're like, yeah, I'm motivated. I can see um, how I'm getting, I'm progressing and we're getting near the end of the goal. And so what the research has found that really works in bringing additional motivation. It's going to sound really easy, but it's this. It's to break down a goal into its smallest doable part. And so if that is you training for a marathon, me right now, it might be <laughs> running to the end of that next street. Um, it might be getting out and... Um, if you're working towards these reading goals, it's okay this week and just focusing on this week or this day, this is what I'm going to do so that what you're telling your brain in those moments is you've achieved something. Like there's this little burst of dopamine, right? Like, and that feeds that, that initiative, the reward centers of our brain run on dopamine. So like giving it a little push of dopamine to say, I did it. I did that little thing. And so, so that's what your research talks about. So like I'm somebody who like loves to check things off a checklist. Like it totally gives me that rush of dopamine when I can put an X through it. So are you saying that the thing that might have been better for me, like if I wanted kids making reading goals and plans and checking in with them, I might have had a plan where week one do this week two. do that, you know, headed into the school year with a more specific plan. That was a lot, you know, like that goal was two reading goals and plans. It was big, but by breaking that bigger goal down into smaller pieces, is that, do you think that would have helped me? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think based on the research, if it was a weekly thing or if it was a daily thing, I think it's mm -hmm. that, but like, really recognizing it as a success. And so whatever it is that you're doing, it does need to tie into growth towards that bigger goal. So that is important as well, right? Like it can't be checking the reading when this is really about some like other writing piece, right? Like it's, so it's really important to make sure that those micro goals are part of that bigger goal but giving yourself allowance to feel like, yeah, that, that checking it off. I feel that too. Um, giving yourself that opportunity to see and feel the success in that lull that like most people experience. So just recognizing that too. And maybe even having self-awareness around like, Hey, this is always the time. And so just tracking it in some way, rewarding yourself in some way for doing that, um, adding something that is fun to you in that experience. Yeah. So it wasn't just that I was unmotivated. No. <laughs> right. I mean, I think this is what we're learning, right? Is motivation is far more about the way we set up our environment and the, the things we tell ourselves about what is success. 
which ties into the second piece of research. If you want to jump there now, let's do it. Okay. So this is one that I am also guilty of, and it is this research on one of the biggest killers of initiative, creativity, um, productivity, <laughs> all of these things related to initiative is perfectionism. And perfectionism, not only is it the, the enemy of initiative, it actually can put us into these ruts in our lives that can be quite toxic to us because we've set these boundaries on what success is. And so I think we talk about perfectionism a lot. So I want to maybe give a new life to that word perfectionism. And it comes from a good place, right? Like we want to do right by our students, by our teachers, by our staffs. Um, but what perfectionism essentially does in our brain is it gives us a binary of right versus wrong. So growth, there's not room for growth in perfectionism. We either don't have the goal that we wanted or we do. We don't have a middle ground for it, kind of the sloppy middle, right? The the stuff that needs to come as we're learning something um, or as we're working towards that, the day-to-day -day grind of working towards that goal can't always feel perfect. We're going to miss days and things. So there's, if we don't allow ourselves to recognize perfectionism in ourselves and the way that we've set ourselves up to fail, if it's not perfect, um, we really um, are missing a real source of initiative or initiative killer. So Eve, I'm like a prime example of someone who consistently falls short of perfection when trying to change something. So I'm going to try that here. <laughs> so something that came to mind when you were talking about like that sloppy middle part is like, I have a personal wellness goal. It's not like a weight loss goal or anything. I just want to be healthy and fit and eat clean foods um, and I get going really strongly, right? So I'm like meal prepping and I go to a personal trainer and then, you know, I walk every night and when I'm doing these things, I feel great, right? Like my brain is firing at high levels. I've got tons of energy. I feel like I can take on the world and I am like crushing it. And then inevitably, you know, something comes up, something unexpected, it creates stress in my life. And suddenly I'm like short on time. And the first thing I cut are my wellness practices, right? And it's so counterintuitive because those are the very things I need to keep in place to manage the stress and everything that's coming into my life. Um, but I cut those. And then, of course, I feel guilty. I feel like sluggish. My brain's kind of lethargic. And it's all because I'm cutting the wrong things. I'm in that like slump. And as soon as I go downhill, like let's say I'm super busy, I run through uh, a couple pieces of pizza. I'm like, well, I already blew it with pizza. You know, I may as well have ice cream. Like I may as well have coffee. Like it's slippery slope, right? That middle, it's like like a crash landing for me in this area. Um, and so I used to give up and I'd go for like weeks or months without trying to like get it back together. Um, and what you helped me see is I must have, without even realizing it, gotten to a place in my brain where I can shift to more of those short-term goals like daily. And I can now compartmentalize those times when I like start sliding down like, okay, yesterday was rough. Like that's not what I'm going for. Today's a new day. 
I can totally, you know, get back on track here um, and fight my way back to, towards my wellness goals. Well, and I think what you bring up, and thank you for sharing that, like, it's never easy to share that, though. I think it's a common feeling, right, of in our own ways, um, there are these things that we fall short of and just go, oh, forget it. And by the way, pizza is never a bad choice. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, it, what it says to me and what it really highlights about this topic of initiative is initiative is effortful, right? Like initiative, another way of thinking about it to that first piece of research is this goal-driven behavior, right? Like we are taking initiative towards something and that is for a brain that requires focused effort that requires consistency. And so when things get stressful, you know, that is something that when we need to put our attention, our focused attention elsewhere, where we're depleted by all these other demands, that is very understandable why it could drop off. Um, and it also made me think, your example also made me think about like initiative is um, something that if we are that same reward center that those little micro goals that make us feel good, like with the dopamine, that same reward center that really activate initiative, that same reward center is also the hub of where we feel stress and like shame and, and all the things that you feel when perfectionism, there's a, oh, I messed up, so I might as well do this. And you, we're just angry at ourselves, right? It's that emotional center of the brain that tells us we've done something wrong. So when there's this goal that we have that we want to take initiative on, but what our brain is saying is it's a threat to us, like how much more likely are we going to go after it? And I think we can think about that in all sorts of realms beyond fitness, right? We can think about it in education, like thinking about learning new things. If a kid feels like, I really want to learn that, but I feel like I, I, I might mess up, right? Or I might, uh, like there's some threat involved in that and there's not rewards in your growth and learning. I don't know, I looking to the educators here, like, do you see that as like something that we can learn from as far as students and the application for them in initiative? Yeah, can we start even higher than that? And yeah, let's do it. Down students? Because I feel like this is a top-down thing. So as district and school leaders, you know, we often have to support educators and staff as they develop their craft. And the best thing we can do is authentically model for our full staff as we ourselves try something new, try to make a change or try to learn something. Um, we can share our challenges with them, laugh at our mistakes, right? And then show how we can learn and grow from these experiences. And leading through modeling like that really helps the staff feel at ease and lets them feel like they can take risks and that expectation of perfection just goes away, right? The expectation is trying and growing. It's not perfectionism. And I can think back to when I was an instructional coach for the district. So I was an instructional strategist, but I didn't necessarily know the teacher's content areas. Um, I supported K to 12. So I was all over the place. And I was modeling how to differentiate instruction real time in a lesson in a civics class. And I am not known for my ability to memorize things in social studies. <laughs> it's definitely my kryptonite. So I'm so reliant on the teacher for the content knowledge. And I'm trying to show how you can do a 
quick lesson, a really fast assessment, and then group kids based on where they are, have leveled activities to move them forward from where they are so everyone is growing, right? And I have this very complex plan and I'm modeling for the teacher and I'm just going to say it blew up. Like it did not work. It was way too complex to pull off. And um, I finally just stopped and I'm like, I just want to apologize to everyone. This is not what I was intending. And the teacher and I worked through strategies for the next day to try it again in a more simple, manageable way. Um, and because I had been vulnerable and like flopped right in front of this teacher, I, you know, here I am the expert that's supposed to be like, it helped her feel really comfortable taking risks. And the way that we were able to grow together, me and her content knowledge that I didn't have and her and her instructional strategies, we just sharpened each other all year and both came out so much stronger because of my lack of perfection in that moment. I just love this idea of sharing our setbacks because what it does is it helps to normalize failure. Um, you know, and I think that we can do that very same thing with students in classrooms also because perfectionism is like, it can be paralyzing for students. And I think that that perfectionist paralysis is what oftentimes stands in the way of student motivation, right? I think there are many times when kids want to do stuff um, and want to do better and be better, but if it's not perfect, then they just won't or don't. Um, and so it reminds me of a practice that I used to do with my students. I taught middle school language arts for a while. And um, we used to do this practice called shared writing. And in shared writing, you share the pen with students and they get to see the messiness that is writing, right? So oftentimes you're just so focused on doing the writing assignment, um, but, and they and the process really is what leads to the beautiful product at the end. Um, but oftentimes we are just, they're just getting graded on the end product. So when we were doing this um, shared writing with them, what we ended up doing was developing a rubric for what drafts should look like. Right. Um, and so when they were working on a writing assignment or a writing project, they would then in turn um, self-assess where where on this rubric did their did their draft line up so that they could, you know, they were getting assessed on the process as part of the end product. Um, and so it put value on the process as much as it did on the end product. And, um, you know, that whole piece helped them to see that that's just part of it. It's learning is messy. Um, you know, and I think that making failure more normal and making the mess valuable yeah. is an important piece in helping kids to perform better academically in school. I, I really never made the connection between perfectionism and initiative until we started talking about this. Yeah. Like, I would have said they were totally separate items, but I see how interconnected they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think another connection that I was making here is you know, we were talking about, you know, tying this to executive functioning and coming into this, I was thinking, 
well, that goal pursuit, right? Like we need to take initiative and that really drives that executive function of like goal-directed focused behavior, right? That is the hallmark of executive functioning. But another one of the executive functionings that I hear in your examples of perfectionism is a lack of flexibility and extending that, right? Like flexible thinking is another aspect of executive functioning, like that adaptable mind. And so teaching them that growth happens, that writing is messy, um, that even coaches and leaders mess up and we take the initiative to come back better the next day, that also teaches them a cognitive flexibility within the growth that's inherent in what you're modeling to them that I just hadn't considered that I think is really powerful what y'all brought out um, in my new learning here today. So thank you for that. Gosh, I feel like... We could continue this conversation forever, but unfortunately, once again, we are out of time. So um, our hope is that you will come back in two weeks where we will continue our conversations about critical leadership competencies. Uh, Next time, we're going to be talking about emotion regulation. So we hope that you can join us. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, Uh, podcasts on Apple or Spotify and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.